You are listening to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank our sponsor, MSP Ignite. MSP Ignite offers a peer group experience that is unique to managed service providers in the technology industry. If you are serious about implementing a model for success through sharing and collaboration of best practices, this is the best way to do it. Head on over to msp-ignite.com to get more information. All right, on to the show. Welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined this week by Jim Harriman of Kinetic Group. Welcome, Jim. Good to be here once again. <laughs> hey, you know, when, when you've got people that have a good cadence in conversation, you tend to want to go back to them because you know you're not going to end up with that, you know, silence on the call, right? <laughs> so so I uh, yesterday you and I were part of one of the MSP Ignite Secure Outcomes Integrator Groups call. And the topic of conversation, um, I don't want to say it was exclusively on this, but was was talking about when you get the cyber insurance question. And, and as we all know, almost all of the questions, in fact, I would argue all of the questions are binary questions. Like, do you use the following vendor? Yes or no. And it's like, well, we're transitioning right. off. So, okay, well, how do you interpret that? You might say no then and hurry up and get off that vendor's platform, right? But we got to talking about something that I think is, is near and dear to me, specifically because I spent the better part of a decade uh, living in the HIPAA compliance space and in the HIPAA world before the rest of us, uh, from an industry standpoint, started talking about how to protect and do a good job with, with protecting sensitive data, the healthcare space was really the first one on the scene uh, outside of um, like publicly traded companies being regulated to have penalties and, and fines associated with not following uh, what's called out like in the omnibus rule. And so... That, that key question was uh, data being encrypted at rest and in transit. I go back in time to when I was doing it in the healthcare space and you apply the triad, you, the confidentiality, integrity, and accessibility, and you had to weigh what, what's going to potentially break here if I encrypt based on the letter of the law or the, the way the question is phrased to still be you know, abiding by the, the intent behind the control to protect the data. So our conversation yesterday, um, you were obviously an active participant, which is why we're doing this call today. And, and that was, well, can I, should I encrypt everything? And is if I don't encrypt everything, does that mean I'm answering no to the question? No, I don't encrypt. Or can I say, yes, I, I encrypted these systems. So from an intent behind the question, I say, yes. <laughs> that, is that, I mean, like, right, like that's the premise of the question, right? Like, where do you draw the line with encryption? And I have some thoughts on this myself, but I want to hear your thoughts because I know we spent a lot of time addressing some nuances that I don't think we need to get into on, on, on today's episode, but maybe for future episodes, if someone says, hey, I would like to talk about and go down a rabbit hole, well, we can do that too. <laughs> well, I mean, I can tell you our philosophy and what drove us to make some of the decisions that we've made, at, you know, in our MSP over the last, you know, five or six years is, you know, when it comes to encryption specifically, uh, we made a conscious decision basically that we were not going to 
have any on-prem servers. Okay. Sure. We, and, and, and basically really start moving strategically to the cloud so that it made, it made addressing encryption much, much easier because when you're dealing with the on-prem side of things and accessibility, when you've got encrypted rates and all the other things that come into, uh, into play there, um, that is, that is what drove the, the decision. It's like, I don't want to deal with that. I want our guys to be able to access data quickly without having to go jump through the hoops of, you know, accessing an encrypted file share on a network. Right, right, <laughs> right. So that's, that's really where we were. And I know everybody's going to, you know, have a lot of different scenarios that, that they're dealing with. Um, and, uh, but that was, that was just the way that we went. And obviously you and I both know uh, groups that, you know, either are running their own data centers with their own stuff that, you know, even if it's just their data and then other folks that are running data centers that not only sure. have their stuff, but their clients data. So uh, it does, it does become a challenge to, to do all of that. But I, I do have the, the philosophy that, you know, if you, if you can encrypt it, do it <laughs> right. I mean, right. If, That's like, if, if you can support two factor authentication, why wouldn't you? Exactly. Especially when we get into like the cost kind of thing, right? Like if we're talking about an overhead that's going to create a financial burden, well, let's, let's raise some questions around what's the probability likelihood this is going to happen. And do we still have this conversation? Cause financially it's just going to maybe put you out of business. And that's, it, it, it made me think about, you know, the number of conversations that you and I have had around uh, going through when you were talking about the different types of frameworks that an MSP could follow. We, we always talk about CIS version eight. You've, you've shared with going through the SOC 2 uh, program. And one of the things I think about when I, when I think about SOC 2 and uh, SASC 16 and some of these others, especially because they kind of evolved out of more of the data center space, is that you and I today, if we put stuff in one of those environments or, or even any number of say compliance frameworks, uh, Datto as an example calls out on their website how they adhere to, to SOC. And it, and it makes me think about what does that mean for, for you when it comes to encrypting your data and at rest in transit, right? Because we rely on the security of our vendors to accomplish a lot of things, but when we think about it through that same uh, logic, then we've got to ask ourselves, is this encrypt everything, right? Like, because that doesn't necessarily make sense or work very well when you try to use that wide sweeping brush to accomplish that goal. Well, sure. And then you, you know, you take the, you know, the policy aspect of it, because you're not going to enforce, say, like with email, you're not going to enforce encryption on every single email that you send, right? Beyond the standard, right? The standard TLS stuff. I mean, you're not going to additionally encrypt every single email, at least not generally speaking, unless you're sending sensitive data, right? So you have to enforce that via policy, right? With, with, each, well, each scenario right this is the tough one right and this is the area where i think a lot of um i, I won't say this is specific to msps because I, I don't think that's true at all obviously we're talking to majority of our our listeners or msps but what i but i what i would say we don't do a very good job of is we don't really spend time on data classification and i think as soon as you start 
talking through the data classification piece, then you can start having a real conversation about what systems you do and don't encrypt, whether it's at rest or not. Until you get to that, then you really are just saying, I encrypt because I can, regardless of the outcome. And, and I think that's the, 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 it's like having a tabletop exercise for the, say, like 150 laptops in the field that you put BitLocker on, and yet six of them have a key issue. And you're like, uh, can't help you because I can't decrypt the device on your behalf. So now you're sending me your machine so that we can get back into it. And, and those are, those are terrible situations to be in. Um, granted, they aren't nearly as bad as if you had a ransomware, you know, encryption, but right. that's, that's the other side of this too, that we were joking about yesterday, right? Well, in the event that there is a ransomware attack on my device, I can confidently say that all the data on my machine has been encrypted. I just don't particularly know if I have a key that will unlock it. Right. <laughs> For a small fee, we give you key, right? <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. I, you know, it is a, it, it's always, security is always going to be a trade-off, whether it's encryption or, you know, MFA or whatever, you're going to, you're going to trade off productivity for security it's inevitable and you know learning to live with that aspect of of what we do you know whether we're in the the technology business the msp business or a law firm it it all applies and how we you know how we measure productivity and all the other things that come into play there. Um, it is, um, it's a challenge that, that, that we're all facing on a daily basis. I mean, I mean, I was in a meeting right before we jumped on here, uh, about, you know, it, it's kind of, it's on topic, but off topic, but how we were going to address, you know, a, a certain control within our organization. Right. Um, it's one that's been sitting out there a while, you know, it's about, it's about, you know, you know, application, blacklisting, whitelisting. Right. Uh, and, and we're predominantly Mac shop. So, you know, there's not threat locker for Mac. Well, you have no security issues either. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go there because (laughs) I, I know that there are security issues on the Mac side. Um, but at the same time, it's like, how do we deal with things uh, on our platform, chosen platform, uh, and how we how we are going to address it? And, you know, regardless of, of what control it is, whether it's, you know, administrative rights or, you know, whitelisting, blacklisting of applications or encryption. Right. You know, there there is a there is a cost. It's either a human cost of time. Right. Or it's financial. Right. And, and once you start evaluating all of those things, you do have to come down and make a decision and finally decide, you know, you can make an exception for, for these rules. Right. In all cases, based on risk. Right. And so, you know, and I think, unfortunately, when it comes to the insurance questionnaires and stuff like that, if somebody hands you binary questionnaire, find another insurance company. Because they're not, they're not, get, they're not really getting to the crux of you know whether you're addressing it or not. They're just you know it's a check a box, yes or no. You know, no explanation. No, we're not going to cover you. Well, if that's going to be the case, go find somebody else that's going to have a dialogue with you about what you're doing and how you're doing it, so that they can feel confident in what you're doing. You can feel confident that 
if if there was a breach that you actually might have a claim paid right i mean that's the that's the whole the whole thing we talked a little bit about that yesterday too so i mean it's right. you know that's well let's assume for a minute insurance provider is off the table it's not an option so sure. i was thinking about like well what are the things that we can do to answer the question honestly if someone says you know do you encrypt data at rest and in transit the question should be yes, right? We, we've already talked about it. if you can, you do. So if there are systems that that's not an option because you can't, that's not what the question asked you. It didn't say, you know, wherever possible or wherever you can, it's, it's a blanket statement that's a yes, no. The reality is what I believe the intent of the question is, is are you encrypting at rest and in transit data that is sensitive, right? Because if you encrypt my laptop and there's nothing stored on it, that was self-defeating. I encrypted my laptop right. for no reason, exactly. right? So yay, they encrypted my laptop, but there was no data on there that I cared about. So would I report that to insurance? No, right? Why would I, why would I report my device being lost or stolen because it had, had data on it I don't care about, right? So I think about this in the, in the vein of a couple things that come to mind. And please, please add to this as you see fit. What's the current configuration of your email just email. Do you have DMARC and DKIM set up properly? Are you ensuring that you're not using TLS one? Do you have two-factor authentication turned on for all of that that goes with your, your just, just email communication? That's all I'm asking for, right? How many MSPs or, or businesses in general would at least partially fail that after having already answered yes to data at rest and in transit is encrypted? Because the question wasn't when you send emails, Right. So uh, when you put data on a flash drive and you walk to your car, that data is in transit. That's correct. And, and I don't think we would necessarily assume that in answering truthfully this question that says, do you encrypt at rest or in transit? So my point here is that there are a lot of opportunities both to, to drive uh, education with clients and, and internally to, to satisfy this question. Um, more importantly, for a lot of us that have to make these decisions that increase our overhead and have costs attached to them, well, what are the, other, what are the opportunities that are also attached to it as well? Uh, I was messing around with an iron key the other day and you know, iron keys, if, for those of you who don't know, it's like uh, Kingston, I think makes them, uh, it's a flash drive that has physical encryption on it. Like when it's unplugged, it actually has a battery. You can't, when you plug it in to give it uh, juice because the battery's dead, like you have to wait till it has a certain level of charge in the event that you pull it out and you corrupt the encryption. Um, but it's literally a hard button, like button sequence that it lights up when it's unlocked, et cetera. I don't think that one for me was a good idea because it was a lot of work to get it to do what it's supposed to, which raised the question, why am I putting it on a flash drive at all? Like that just wasn't a good fit for me. To your point with the whole cloud concept, there are so many more tools that cost zero extra dollars than trying to manage and secure infrastructure that lives in your physical environment. Absolutely. Uh, so I don't know where, where, where do you go from there? Like I've, I've listed two things I think, or three things I think are paramount in answering this question, whether you answer with your truth or what they're expecting to be the truth. And I don't know that you'll ever know the answer uh, as to what they are actually asking you, because I don't think they can honestly say, oh, we mean everything that you might touch. 
including your car, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I go back to what you said just moments ago, you know, are you, when it comes to data sensitivity, are you encrypting sensitive data in at rest and in transit? If you can, if you can confidently answer that, yes, then I would, I would, I mean, I feel like I could confidently answer that yes, right? Right. Because I don't store any client data, specific client data, right? And that's because you know, Macs don't support that. <laughs> oh man, come on. I know you're sitting on a Mac too. So, you know, I, that's fair. That's fair. Actually, for uh, this episode, I am on my Windows laptop. Sorry. Oh, are you? Okay. I am. Oh. I am. I'm sorry. I, 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 that was, that was a good, that was a good jab. It didn't work this one time. This one time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, everybody's situation is going to be different. And as we noted yesterday with, you know, seven or eight people in our conversation, every single one of us had a different scenario and probably had different answers to that question because of how we operate, right? And how we've chosen to operate. And and so, you know, for for those outside that aren't all cloud-based like we are, I would say, you know, again, go in, analyze your situation and see you know, what makes the most sense from a, you know, the cost perspective versus, you know, the, you know, the protection side of what you're, of what you're actually protecting. If you have sensitive data in that, consider moving that sensitive data somewhere else that, that is easier to qualify that encryption side of things that that you don't have the same cost involved. So, well, and I I would say that that's not just a consider. So I I'm actually helping a, uh, an organization go through a a HIPAA audit, a 2018 controls audit and a couple of things that go with it. And so going through the questionnaire, one of the questions that's asked is as it goes through each machine that was identified, it says, do these folder shares contain EPHI? Do, the, do these drive shares contain EPHI? Do these workstations have access to or contain EPHI? Now, the language changed a little bit there, but uh, the important thing to remember is you're choosing where EPHI is, or, or sensitive data lives in most cases. In the cases that you don't have control over it, then that's where you really start to see that whole uh, how you might attempt to address by saying, I'm not going to allow this to come into my environment, or I'm going to try to steer in a direction that puts sensitive data in a space that we know collectively that we can protect. I think this kind of goes back to the beginning of our, of our discussion. And that is, if you do data classification, and you identify and have a policy in place that says, based on data type, that is sensitive, this is how we're going to handle it. I don't think you can fail this question. I, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, I'm consulting with a, a healthcare um, client now that was like, they had nothing in place, absolutely nothing to, right. to protect them in any way, shape or form. Uh, and it's, it's been a, it's been a challenge sure. to, to go get, to go through all that and, um, you know, helping them go through and classify their data and identify where all of their data is 
right? And yeah. half of their workforce are are independent contractors, not full-time employees. Right. And so then you've got another, you know, how do we address that, right? So, you know, we're not managing those devices. They're using their personal computer. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to fire up virtual workspaces and you just tell them you do all your work here Yeah. <laughs> and, and don't allow any transfer of data from that. I mean, if they're taking pictures of people's information and doing that, it's like, uh, you know, there, there's only so much you can do, right? So, but in, in the general and in the spirit of the rules that are in place, you know, um, if we're, we're getting there, but. Well, I'm not going to say that you went down a rabbit hole, but the reality is if we go back to the vast majority of the MSP Ignite Secure Outcomes town halls we've had, we talk about controls, we talk about CIS, we ultimately get wrapped around the axle, I think, when we get into policies versus good documentation. And the thing that I keep hearing over and over, to some degree, I have to say, when I look in the mirror even, or listen to what I'm saying, is if you have a policy that addresses what to do with sensitive data, or what is and isn't allowed to be to be accessed or, you know, cause you can really get pretty, pretty easy, right? It, maybe the cost is significant, maybe not. But when you think about BYOD on the laptop side, but you created a virtual environment, you now have ensured that the data that that end users is getting any access to isn't moving. I mean, you literally can ensure right. that they can't transfer that data locally. Now I know there's someone listening going, well, what about when they take pictures? I don't care. Like, there is no perfect scenario that you can protect 100% every single thing we're trying to do, which means go look at the intent behind the question that a cyber security questioner has when it says encrypt at rest and in transit. You should be able to truthfully, without question, answer that by saying yes. And no one's asking you for the but. And the reality is they shouldn't have to because we should all be interpreting but the same way, right? And that is, if it's sensitive data that could cause harm or, or uh, you know, financial loss, which I guess would still be harm to myself or my clients, then I failed, right? Like then my answer is no. But if it's sensitive data and I can say, yes, I'm encrypting it at rest and in transit, then there shouldn't be a, a question about whether or not I'm going to get coverage. And the reality is, if you look at the way the court systems work and the way any of those claims would potentially not be covered, the question is going to get asked, were you ignorant or negligent in the way you were approaching protecting the data, the clients and, and the infrastructure that you were responsible for? Yeah. And, and, and I would, I would agree with that assessment. And I think that, you know, all of us that are, I mean, I, I believe that, some of the clients that I've engaged with have been, you know, ignorant and negligent all at the same time because they know what they're supposed to do and they're not doing anything. Once they engage us, right, they're, they're taking action and they're expecting right. us to help them take action, which takes away, you know, now they're not ignorant because right. they, made a, they made a smart decision, right? right? And they're not negligent because they are moving towards the ultimate goal. They may not be at that goal yet, but at least they're, you know, and I think that in any type of scenario like that, whether it's an insurance claim or legal action or whatever, right. I think they'll look at the the reality of where they are today and say, it, it, it may not completely uh, hold them blameless, right, of, right. Of anything, but at the same time, I think that it will go a long way to showing uh, that they're, that they're 
trying or they're they're yeah. really working to i mean every every breach that we've seen has i mean these are all companies that you know have probably been through some type of compliance audit that right. has been through i mean they, these are these are not ignorant or negligent companies that are being, no you know you know what i mean i mean well so you can't like, you can't predict what the variables might be. You right. can only control the variables. And even still, I'm using the word variable. So you can't, variables are not the control, the control metric, right? right? So I think about what you just said. So if, if you think about how they recommend that you review policies on an annual basis, what happens if there's something that changes and the policy does not, has not been reviewed to be enforced going forward because of what has happened but hasn't been caught yet, that doesn't make you negligent or, or you might be somewhat ignorant to the fact of what's happening, but that's par for the course. And we talk about that all the time. Like, how do we, how do we prepare for the post boom, which is the inevitable. And we use post boom a lot to say my data has been breached and encrypted and taken, but there's so many other things that could be in that category to go with it. Uh, you know, as we, as we get close to wrapping this up, the thing that comes to mind for me is what are you doing from an intent standpoint? Because I don't like it when someone says, oh, well, that's the double-edged sword. If I don't know about it, then I'm sort of like in this, you know, uh, what is it? I can plead the fifth. I, I didn't know, right? Like, I, you know, don't, I guess that's not pleading the fifth, but um, you, you, can, you can play the card of, I didn't know. And right. this is one area where that doesn't help you in the event that something happens, right? Because they're saying, and so that's the challenge, right? So I look at POAMs and, and all of these remediation strategies and vulnerability management. Those are all things that we do to decrease the probability that we ever even need an insurance claim. And right. I think that's where the letter of the, it's not the letter of the law, but that's where the intent seems to be from everything I've talked to from an insurance, you know, from insurance brokers to, to some of the underwriters, like there's no way they can predict the future but they're trying to do their best to ask questions, even when it's not the right question to ask that hopefully you can say, I'm going to answer this with as much truth as I can with my understanding of the question. Right. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more in, in that regard. And I really, I couldn't even really add to that. That was such a, that's a great just statement. You should, you know, quote that out and he's uh, out. That's right. Drop the mic. Well, and, and I guess then just for those of you that are listening, like the reality here is Jim and I are having this conversation. We're not claiming to be the experts on encrypt at transit and at rest. We're not claiming to be experts on what the insurance providers or their underwriters are looking for. But what we can tell you is that because of the conversation that we've had today and yesterday, the 12 or so people that this will directly impact based on the two conversations and those of you listening is that hopefully you're making better decisions about the encrypt at rest and in transit. And more importantly, that when you look at that cybersecurity questionnaire, you're not getting paralysis analysis because the question is binary with a non-binary reality. I think that's how I would sum it up. Absolutely. Jim, before we close out, any any last words to, to share with uh, our listeners? I, you know, I would just say, you know, the thing that we keep really uh, preaching, I don't like to use that word, but, you know, it is true that if you're if you're not doing it, get busy, get started. You know, CIS, control one, 
just, you know, dive in and, and get moving because um, it's, it's important and to be in our industry and not, not be doing something from a cybersecurity perspective and looking internally first, right? right? Uh, not worrying about the monetary gain of it, it will come. Right. But we have to, we have to keep our own house in order. And so get well started. Said. So for, as we close this out, a couple of things that come to mind for me, Jim, obviously you're a member of MSP Ignite and you are involved in a peer group. You're uh, an active member of the advisory council for secure outcomes. You and I both know that if we didn't have these things in place, navigating cybersecurity would be near impossible. That journey together, not alone is, is a real, real thing. So for those of you listening that you're not in a peer group or you're not involved in something like CompTIA or some other organization where you can really rely on your peers to help answer questions, make that your, your this week, get it done. Like half of these things don't even cost money. Some of them do, but the reality is the breach, the penalties, those things, because you didn't get it done or didn't do it are far more significant than the dollars you'd spend to get help from your peers. And, and asking your friends who are in the industry, most cases that's free. And that's kind of goes back to, they're probably still also your friends because you asked them and they didn't charge you for those answers. <laughs> Anyways, with that, everybody, as I rambled at the end, this has been an episode of MSP 1337. Thanks and have a great week.